Well, those of us who've had kids, we know that feeling when you come home from the hospital and you're overwhelmed with this sense of, I've been put in charge of another human being. And that is a frightening thing, but at least you, you realize that that is the way the power structure works. You're in charge of them. Something changes. I started to say it happens in the preteen years, but Lord knows it can happen in the toddler years. Because after a while, it gets a little fuzzy as to who's in charge. You don't know at one point, am I in charge or the, charge or the kids are in charge? And first of all, there's a lot of responsibility to being in charge. My, my, our baby is about to graduate from Wichita State this week. He graduates on Friday. But when he was little, he, and he was very verbal early on, and a lot of times when he would say expressions, he, he didn't know exactly what he was saying, and he'd kind of garble things up. And he, when he was angry at somebody, when he frustrated with somebody, he would, he would get very stern with them and say, I'm going to put you in charge. I think he was trying to say, I'm going to put you in timeout. <laughs> but since I was a leader, I used to listen to him and think, you know, he may have it right. Maybe the toughest punishment of all is to be put in charge. <laughs> but as I said, things change. And it really gets tough. And, and if you're a teen here today, I, I, I'm not having fun at your expense. It's just you'll know what we're talking about when you're a parent of a teen. Um, you know, and I love Mark Twain. And one of, one of Mark Twain's quotes that I've, I've loved through the years, he said, when a boy turns 13, build a box for him, put him in the box, and just make a hole big enough for him to breathe. <laughs> and he said, when he turns 17, plug up the hole. <laughs> uh, nothing that draconian. But, but it is challenging, especially when the kids, you feel like the kids have, have taken over. And, and a lot of times their parents who are just, just totally frustrated with the whole thing. I mean, you, sometimes the day leaves you wanting to pull your hair out because of the craziness. A long time ago, I, I read uh, various excuses that people gave patrolmen for speeding. And the list of excuses that I saw were excuses where the patrolman actually let the person go. And like, kind of like a Dave Letterman thing, they kind of like did top 10 and then counted down. And the, the number one answer that anyone gave a patrolman and caused the patrolman to let him go. Uh, it seems like a patrolman pulled over a woman who was driving a minivan full of screaming kids. And he said, ma'am, did you know you were speeding? She said, I was just trying to get away from the noise behind me. <laughs> and he said, of course, I had to let her go. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, and I think anybody who's parented, at some point it felt like the kids are taking over. But if it's really serious... I think we as parents, and I'll tell you something else, I think if you're, even if you're a 10-year-old here today, if the kids have taken over in your house, I think you know it's not a good thing. So all of us have a sense that it's not good for the power structure to get inverted in the home. Maybe, maybe you know it because you grew up in a different kind of home. If you're like me, I grew up in a really old school home. And, and my parents were very different kind of parents than a lot of the permissive parents that I run into today. The other day I was in a mall or a store or something, and, and, and mom was doing something that was displeasing the little girl. And so the little darling rolled her eyes at her mom, put her hands on her hips, you know. And then mom still didn't capitulate. And next thing you know, the little girl starts yelling and screaming this awful thing, saying to her mom, drops the F-bomb on her mom. Now, my mom was in the early service. She's 91 years old. She was the sweet, sweetest mom in the world. But I promise you, if I had dropped the F-bomb on my mom, I was going to go see Jesus. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a good thing, but <laughs> at least in that context. I, I think, you know, we look at that and we say, that's not good. 
So it could be because you grew up in a different kind of home, and, and you grew up in a home where there was a lot more structure, and you benefited from it. Maybe, maybe you know it's not a good thing because you understand that if your kids grow up uh, believing that they're, that they're in control and charge and that they're running things, you know what's going to happen. I mean, if they grow up believing they can tell mom and dad what to do, they'll go into the workforce believing they can tell the boss what to do. And there's a word for that, unemployed. <laughs> they do it more than once. There's another word for it, unemployable. So if you're a parent, I think you know, if the kids have taken over the house, it's not in their best interest to continue on that way. And it could be that you have a faith background. And because you have a faith background, perhaps you've looked at the Bible and you know that there are scriptures in the Bible that go something like Ephesians 6.1, which says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. My dad was a pastor. I grew up thinking this was the only verse in the Bible. <laughs> really, I'm serious. Because I grew up a little bit, you know, on the, I won't say rebellious side, but I kind of pushed things a little bit. And I would ask my dad from time to time, why do I have to do this? He would say, the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He always emphasized right. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't in love with it back then, but I am today. So if we know that it's not right for kids to take over the house, some of us right now are in a situation where it's true. Why do we let it go? Why do we let it go? Well, it could be somebody saying, Mark, it's too late. If I'd started when they were two, maybe I'd be okay, but they're 12 and 13, and so it's just too late. Or somebody could say it's too hard. You know, it's, it's hard to turn the ship around. Um, it could be that, and this is probably the most, probably the best reason, is that someone could say, well, Mark, I'm a single parent. And by the way, my hat's off to you. You guys are, are heroes of mine. Mark, I'm a single parent, and, and I do have good discipline standards, but my ex, you know, his life is a wreck. And so when the kids are with him, they go crazy, and they come back. So it's really hard for me to, to keep control. Or it could just be you saying, Mark, you know, we're in a blended situation, and, and, and my spouse has kids, and I have kids, and, and we've raised kids in different ways, and now we're trying to figure out how to make it work, and it's just so crazy. I just feel like quitting. Or it could be... It could be we have somebody here who's just 21st century postmodern parent, and it's like, Mark, when I watch entertainment, you know, the, the house that all the kids want to be in is the house where mom and dad let the kids do anything they want to do, and that's where all the friends want to come, and it's really important for me. I don't want to be an authority figure in my kid's life. I want to be a buddy. I want to be their best friend. You know, it's like the Kardashians. I just, you know, watch that, and that's, <laughs> I don't have any sympathy for you, <laughs> but I would like to say it isn't a good thing to be in a situation where the kids have taken over the house. Now, today, I, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact you're listening to an old guy who's pretty well run his course as a parent. And, and I know things have changed, and, and I'm aware of the fact that you guys face some challenges if you're young parents or young married or will soon to be married. You're going to face some challenges that are maybe a little different from mine. So let me, let me do this. Let me talk in two kinds of terms. Let me talk, first of all, in general principles, and then let me give you some practical advice. And again, this is not a sermon. It's just a talk. You're listening to an old guy who's pretty well finished his parenting, but a guy who's done a lot of counseling through the years and also raised three kids. And by the way, you know, here's the thing. You know, I, I've met some people that know everything they, there is to know about child rearing. Run from those people. Seriously. <laughs> There's a story, true story, about two women who were both child psychologists. And 20 years after they graduated, there was a reunion at their university. And so they got together and compared notes. And one of the psychologists said to the other, she said, you know, when I graduated, I had six theories about raising kids. 
She said, today I have six kids and no theories. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how it is. Now, here's the thing. If the kids have taken over the house, there are two possibilities. There are two reasons why the kids are out of control. And I'm going to give you both of them. And, and the reason why we're exploring these is because if we want to have the right kind of we want to have the right kind of order in the home, we need to understand this is how it goes wrong, and that, that way we'll know what to fix. Here's the first one. The kids are out of control because mom and dad are out of control. <laughs> see, see, order ain't going to come out of chaos. If I'm out of control as a dad, I'm going to have kids. I can't expect my kids to be in control. If, if my marriage is out of control, if it's whacked, then my, I can't expect the kids to somehow discover order out of that. So, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. I'm not trying to, listen, please understand, I, I'm not trying to raise guilt feelings in any of us. I just want us to understand kids are going to watch what we do much more than they listen to our lectures. You know, we're always talking to our kids, which is a good thing. We're always instructing them and informing them about life, and that's healthy and it's good. But let's never lose sight of the fact they are gonna draw, they're going to draw their primary ideas of life from us, from what we do and not what we say. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4, Scripture says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, and I'll use that verse for a different reason later, but I want to look at this one expression, bring them up. That is a very important line in the Bible about parenting. If, you, if, you, parents, if you're young parents, someday you think you will have children, just keep that, tattoo that on your soul, okay? Bring them up. It's a very important verb. Here's the thing. If I want you to be up on the stage and I'm on the floor, I have some options. I can send you up. I can push you up. But if I'm on the floor, you ready for this? I cannot, by definition, bring you up. There is only one way I can bring you up on the stage, and that is I have to be on the stage. See, here's the thing, moms and dads. We can't bring our kids up if we're not up. If we're not up, we can try to send them up. Good luck with that one. Or we can try to push them up. You won't have any, trust me, you won't have any luck with that one at all. But if you want them up, you have to bring them up, which means we have to be up in the first place. And again, I just want to really emphasize this. I'm not trying to raise guilt because nobody's perfect. Our kids all have a free will. And here's the deal. If you have several kids, you're probably going to have mixed outcomes. And beyond that, you and I may not know the final grade till, till we're dead and in heaven. You know, the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's anxious, he won't depart from it. So it may, may be that your kids won't get it until after you and I have left the scene. And there's another, you know, here's the thing, too. Remember this. Kids are so different. If you have two kids in the home, you can, isn't it true, you can, they can be totally different? You have three kids, you got three different human beings. I remember when I was in college, you know, for those of you who have been to college or if you're in college, think about this. Yeah, because this is exam time. You, you ever dread an exam? It's really scary. But there are like three or four hours of that same class offered at the university. And so you're like maybe the late hour of the day, and you find somebody, friend of yours, who's like in the first hour, and you say, tell me what's going to be on the exam. And your friend says, yeah, sure. So you sit down for a little bit, and, and he, she, he or she goes through all the questions that were on the exam and said, watch for these. And you think, I'm going to ace this because I'm just memorizing all these answers. And then you go in to your hour, and the professor has changed the exam, and you know the answers, but it doesn't match the questions. And that's kind of what it feels like having more than one kid. Because you have that first kid, and you think, I got this down. 
this was easy. You know what? It wasn't easy, but now I've got it all figured out. I know how to raise a kid. The second one comes along, somebody changes all the questions. You know? So I'm not trying to create guilt. I'm just laying down before you an important principle. Kids, watch what we do. Let me show you some key areas real fast where they're going to watch us. Number one, they watch our relationship with God. Guys, I'm not saying these things aren't important, important, but kids don't care what your denomination is. They don't care what your theology is. They, they may not care about some of the things that are core doctrines of, your, of, your, of what you believe. Still important to teach them. But let me just tell you this. They will pay attention to how you actually live out your faith. That's going to be really important. And the thing about it is, we can't fool them. You know, I, 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 I'm very thankful. My mom and dad, my dad was a pastor. And I'm very grateful that he lived out at home when he preached at church. I can tell you that's a very difficult assignment. But it's very important because here's the thing. If we claim to believe in God... And yet God doesn't seem to get into the groundwater of our life. Our kids are going to look through that. One of my favorite old stories is about a guy who was like a deacon in a church or something, but he had kind of a high profile, and he was well to do. So he threw a barbecue in the summer for everybody in the church, invited everybody over his house, and it was kind of tough putting it all together. But finally got to the place where they were all ready to eat. He thought he would impress his church by asking his 8-year-old boy to do the blessing, to say the blessing for the crowd. So he called his eight-year-old over and said, son, I want you, you're very pious, son, I want you to ask the blessing on the dinner that we're about to have. The little kid freaked out. He said to his dad, I don't know what to pray. So dad, loud enough for everybody to hear, he said, you just pray what you've heard your dad pray. So a little boy raised his eyes to heaven and said, dear God, why would I invite all these people here on a hot day like this? <laughs> It's kind of funny, but you know the truth of the matter is, it's right. Our kids don't care so much about our theology if it doesn't get into our living. All right, let me go to another area it's, that's very important. Kids are watching how you treat authority. There's a line in this world between winners and losers, and it all has to do with how we react to authority. And losers in the world are rebellious. And they always underproduce, and they always lose, and it's always somebody else's fault, and they never can figure out why they're a loser. It's because they don't respect authority. People who respect authority go much further in life than their talent would let them go normally. I have so much to be thankful for with my parents, but one of the things that my mom and dad taught me was to always respect authority. My parents taught me to respect police officers. My parents taught me to respect teachers. And in the, in the Hoover household, the teacher was always right. If I came home complaining about the teacher, the teacher was right. Instantly, the teacher was right. Now, let, let me ask you a question. Do you think my parents really thought the teacher was right all the time? No. They just understood that much more than that single situation, it was important that they trained their son to respect the authorities in his life. Here's the thing. If moms and dads are always complaining about authority, ripping the boss, ripping... And here's the thing. Now, let me just give you a talk about politics for a moment. Because here's the thing. From time to time, people... There'll be people in power that you're not going to be in love with. It's perfectly fine to sit down with your kids and talk about the politics and why you believe what you believe. But here's the deal. We should always treat them to respect our elected officials. Ever since Watergate, there has been toxicity in the water in that regard. And Scripture tells us to respect those people who are elected officials. We may disagree. Perfectly great to have a, a dialogue with why you disagree with the leader but it's very important to teach our kids to respect authority. And they're going to learn to treat authority 
the way we treat authority. And think about it, we want them to be winners. Here's another big one. They're going to they're gonna watch how we treat people. Because they're going to learn to treat people from watching the way we treat people. If there are two parents in the home, work with me for a moment. If there are two parents in the home, most of what your kids are going to learn about how to treat people will be from how you treat your husband or wife. Think about this, dads. Here's the thing. Your son, if you have a son, your son is watching the way you treat your wife. In fact, through the years, I've always told parents, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is love your wife or love your husband. Love their mother, love their dad. So here's the thing. When a, when a boy watches his dad interact with his wife, a boy learns to treat women the way his dad treats his wife. And it's important, very important. You know, here's the thing. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm a good example. I have bad days. But if I can, I mean, I know I'm old school and I'm from the South. But if I can, if, I, if Mary Alice is with me, I will open her passenger door. I mean, it's just, I, I, I mean, I say, my dad taught me to say yes, sir, and no, sir. I told a guy at Quick Trip, I said yes, sir, to a guy at Quick Trip the other day, about 20 years old. And he smarted back to me and he said, I'm not your dad. And I shouldn't have said this. I was wrong to say this. But you know what I'm like. I said, hey, that has a lot more to do with who I am, not who you are. A boy will learn to treat females from the way his father treats his wife. And here's a big one. Sir, your daughter will learn what to expect from a man in the way you treat your wife. If you're abusive, if you're unkind, if you're cruel, if you're sarcastic, if you put her down, she may think that's just what men do. And you may leave her totally vulnerable to be in a toxic relationship because without realizing it, you've taught her how a man treats a woman. You don't want that to happen to your daughter. You want her to find, I mean, here's the thing, guys. If you treat your wife like a queen and you love her and you respect her and even on a bad day, you still, you still give her slack and, and, and you help her, you just taught your daughter that's, that's what she should look for when she looks for a husband. And she shouldn't stop looking for a guy till she finds somebody who will treat a woman that way. You say, Mark, that's old school. It may be, but it's right. Ladies, your, your, your daughter is going to learn to treat her husband from the way you treat your husband. You say, well, Mark, he's a jerk. I have to use my tongue on him like a machine gun just to get him to do anything. <laughs> You're not exactly setting your daughter up for success. Can I just say that? Because here's the thing, and I want to go back to talking about authority too because there's kind of a nexus here between authority and the people in our lives. Here's the deal. There are no perfect authorities that, that's just understandable. Because here's the thing. If we have to have perfect authorities before we can be happy about authority, you can forget about it. There are no perfect police officers. There are no perfect teachers. There are no perfect bosses. There are no perfect husbands or wives. Forget about that. We're just going to have to learn that if we want to have an influence on our kids, we're going to have to treat people in the way that we would want our kids to learn and to treat people in the same way. Okay, got to hustle. Here we go. Number four, kids are watching how you make choices. This is a big one. And here's the thing. This is, this is where it gets a little interesting. We typically think we're teaching our kids to make choices from our choices. In other words, we make a choice, we think our kids will make the same choice. 
that's not where the teaching takes place. Kids don't watch our choices as much as they watch the basis for our choices, the motivation. See, we can make a right choice, but if we make it for the wrong reason, all we've taught our kid is the wrong reasons. So they're going to watch why we make the choices that we make. Okay, let me give you the fifth one, and this one is very critical. The kids are watching us when we're under pressure. You know, kids believe that what we parents do when we're under pressure is who we really are. Is that fair? No. But it is what it is. Um, you know, it's amazing. Adults will give you a pass. If I... If I if I screw this up, adults will say, well, Mark's having a bad day, or Mark's got a tough job, or it's, you know, he doesn't always feel well. So it's amazing. Adults will give us a pass, but not kids. If a kid sees, Dad, if you lie when you're under pressure, your kid will say lying is the solution. But on this Mother's Day, let's flip this for a moment, because I want you to think about, especially if you had good parents, I want you to think about how your parents' positive actions when they were under pressure, I want you to think about how it influenced your life. Let me give you a few suggestions. Did any of you here, when your parents were under pressure, see them personally go without in order to make sure you had something? In other words, times were tough, and mom and dad went without to get you something. Mom and dad went without new clothes to get you new clothes. I remember my dad was a pastor. He didn't make very much money, pastored a small church. Every Wednesday night, my dad would stop by Whataburger, which was my favorite hamburger place when I was a kid. He and mom didn't get a hamburger, but I got one. Let me just tell you this. If you watched your mom and dad go without when they didn't have, my guess is you're a generous person. If you watched your mom and dad pray when things were really tough, my guess is prayer is important to you. If you saw your dad tell the truth when it cost him, my guess is that truthfulness is an important thing to you. If when your parents were, when their world was falling apart, you saw your mom embrace your dad and say, well, baby, at least we have each other, chances are a good marriage is more important to you than a beach house at Malibu. Kids are watching what we do when we're under pressure. All right, that's the first one. We talked about the reason why kids are out of control. Kids are out of control because mom and dad are out of control. And so if we want our kids to be in order, we have to be in order in order to bring them up. Let me give you the second reason real quickly. Uh, second reason why kids take over the house is a wrong parenting culture. In other words, the culture that exists in the house is not good. I spend a lot of time training leaders. And, and guys, trust me on this one. When leaders want to transition, they typically ask the wrong question. Let me, let me just tell you what, what happens. They want to ask me, what are the strategies that I need to employ to drive change? And we could even be in a message like this today and say, okay, kids have taken over the house. Mark, tell me what are the strategies that I need to employ to drive change? Listen to me, please. Strategies don't bring change. Culture brings change. So if you want to change the outcomes, you've got to change the entire culture. And so let's talk about some unhealthy cultures for raising kids. And you're going to know these probably without me telling you, but we'll talk about them a little bit. The first one is a permissive culture. In other words, I don't want my kids to hate me, so I'm going to let them do anything they want to do. And here's the thing. A lot of times we can almost believe we're doing the right thing because our kids, you know, they, they will stop the war for a little bit if we give in to them. But listen to what the Bible says. 
Discipline your children while you still have the chance. Indulging them, let me read this slowly. Indulging them destroys them. Let me, let me go to the next culture. The next culture is a distracted culture. And this is so huge in our, in our world today because we have so many electronic pacifiers, right? I do. I mean, these days you have, you know, television, you know, iPad, laptops, smartphones. I mean, we have all these devices, and, and, and I'm glad we have them. I like them. I use them myself. But here's the problem. What can happen in a lot of families today, it's like, well, if everybody's got their pacifier, then the home is going fine. But the problem is we're totally distracted. We don't know what our kids are, are into on those intelligent devices. Sometime back, I was in a very special part of the world, the kind of place you don't get to visit very often. And we were at a very special restaurant that was downtown. And it, was, it was in Mexico. And mariachi players were playing. It was really cool. I, we were there with some wonderful, wonderful friends, grandparents. There were three generations there. There were 10 of us around the table in this wonderful location. I looked up at one moment, and here we were, 10 of us around the table, and all of us had our iPhones out. We weren't talking to each other. How many of us know something's wrong with that picture? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying technology's bad. I'm just saying in this culture, it's real easy for parents to get distracted. And in a distracted culture, the kids can take over the house. Let me give you a third one. Could be that somebody's sitting here saying, Mark, I really enjoyed this message today. I thought it was high time somebody talked about this. These parents that don't take responsibility, don't take control. I'll tell you, I've got control of my house. I sit there in the living room with my beer and my belt out, and if there's noise back there in the back room, I'll say, don't make me come back there. And I'll tell you what, man, my kids didn't learn the F-bomb on the street. They learned it from me. Yeah. <laughs> well, harsh authoritarian parenting is a toxic culture, too. And there are some, I'm sure, who grew up in that today. And you'd be the first to say, Mark, that discipline didn't help me. It caused me to rebel. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a few moments. And now I want, to, I want to go to the part of the message where I just want to give you some practical advice. How do you discipline kids? How, how do you discipline? Uh, there, there are a lot of great books on that. Kevin Lehman's book, Have a New Kid by Friday, and you know, the old Dare to Discipline book by Dobson and all that. A lot of great books on parenting. But I want, could I just give you three key lessons on how to discipline that have helped me as a parent? And if I were starting over today, I would pay more attention to these three. Okay? We just have a few minutes left. Here's the first one. Discipline your kids in sadness. In sadness. See, our first response is to discipline them in anger. And you know what our kids learn? Because after all, what we want is them to learn. You know what our kids learn when we discipline in anger? They learn anger. So what is it we want our kids to know when they do wrong? Work with me. Doing wrong, whenever somebody does wrong, it's a sad thing. So when you discipline, discipline in sadness. I mean, even when they're very small. I mean, let your demeanor show you're sad because something wrong has been done. Teach your, teach your kids that it's a sad thing when somebody does wrong. So discipline in sadness. Oh, this next one's going to be controversial. Okay, buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> discipline unified. Discipline unified. 
the most important word, if you're in a two-parent family, the most important word is we or our. Because see, here's the thing. You know how it is. There's usually one parent who's been with the kids more than the other. And this parent has felt the pressure of the wrongdoing. And the other parent has just sort of waltzed in and come into the situation. Or it could be that there's one parent who's sort of the designated disciplinarian, and there's a parent that's sort of the... I mean, it's like one parent throws the grenades, and the other parent comes in and says, was anybody hurt? <laughs> and you know, you, you got mom saying, hey, you know what? You know, you, you, you can't go. It's just not a, it's not a healthy environment. You just can't, you, you can't, go, you can't go with these friends. I, I just don't want you to be with them because they're just not a good influence. And then go talk to dad. And dad said, well, you know, no, your mom is just kind of old school and that kind of thing. You know, she's sort of backward, but here's the deal. You need to go along with her or else we'll both hear from her. Or it could be mom, you know, because dad's saying, you know, you know, you can't date when you're 13. And, and, and the girl goes to mom and says, but mom, I'm so in love with this boy. He's so cute. And mom would say, yeah, he's cute. I've seen his picture on Facebook. Well, you got to understand, baby, your daddy's just old school. He grew up in a different kind of home. And, and so I, if it was up to me, I would let you. And here's the weird thing. A lot of times that parent really doesn't want them. They really are depending upon the discipline of the other parent. But if it were up to me, I would let you go, baby. You know, I'm really cool. Your dad's not. Guys, I want to tell you something. The most important word in parenting is we. This is our rule. This is the house rule. Mom and dad are the same. If you ask mom, you'll get this answer. If you ask dad, you're going to get this answer. Now, here's the thing. You won't always agree about discipline. Here's why it's really important, moms and dads, to get out in front of this and talk about what you're going to do before the issue comes up. What's a mortal sin? What's a venial sin? You know, what, what is it that's a timeout? What is it that's a grounding? I mean, and, and how many days of grounding? Talk about these things ahead of time so that you know how you're going to react to discipline and you can be on the same page. Get out in front of it. That's just great advice for any leader. Here's the third one. And if you're not like, if you don't have my personality, this may not be as important for you. I'm really intense. There are no pastels in my personality. And I tend to react sometimes pretty hotly. And I was worried about this when I, was a, when I first became a parent. And so in our home, we instituted the 20-minute rule. So if one of the kids got in trouble, I would just send them to the back of the house for 20 minutes. And I would just say, wait in the back bedroom for me, and I'll come back in 20 minutes and I'll meet out whatever discipline we're going to have. Now, during that 20 minutes, I wanted to do several things. I wanted to calm down, and I wanted to think it through. Because here's the thing. Kids do wrong for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they're just, they just not paying attention. So I wanted to know. And then on top of that, too, there would be times when I would ask myself, did I tell them not to do that? Did I, did I give them clear-cut instructions? And there would be times I would think it through and think, no, I'm not even sure they really understood and then I would think about, well, you know, was it something they'd been told a couple of times? Was it outright overt rebellion? I wanted 20 minutes to calm down and get myself in a place where I knew what measured, metered, sad discipline would look like. I was talking to Jonathan about this this week. When he was a real little fella, I'd send him to the back room, and I'd hear this voice call out from the back room, Dad, please come on back here. Waiting is worse than anything. <laughs> And there were times when I got thinking about that. Well, 20 minutes of waiting is probably adequate for this. <laughs> well, I've got to bring this to a close since it's time for me to quit. 
I have a friend, a wonderful lady who's a professor at Friends. And for years, she's asked me to come do a talk for her class. And one of the things that she really likes for me to talk about is individuals' responsibilities in the home. And she loves this particular point about parents' responsibilities. And so I want to close today with this verse. The Bible says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Earlier, I talked to you about bring them up. Now I want to talk to you about fathers and mothers. Don't exasperate your kids. I need two more minutes. Can I have two more minutes? Do you know what it means to exasperate kids there? Do you ever see a kid and he can't do anything right? No matter what he does, he can never do anything right. You ever see a, a, a little girl? I mean, it doesn't matter how hard she tries, she can never do anything right. Because somehow there's just, there's never any, any way where mom and dad will say, that's good. To exasperate our kids means, and this is exactly what the word means, it means to communicate to them that they don't have any future. You know, there are times I see this happen in a public concourse, and it's everything I can do not to just stop and talk to the parent. But I'll hear a parent say something to a kid like, you know, you're always going to be a loser. You know, you, you're never going to be on time. You're never going to be able to graduate from school. Nobody's ever going to love you. And I want to say to that parent, that's the last message you want to communicate. Because you know what? If you communicate that to your kids, they'll lose hope. They'll give up. They'll quit. Guys, first thing we need to do is to communicate to our kids they have a future Last night, I brought this talk at the 4 o'clock service, and at the end, there was a young couple that were walking by my office to thank me for the message, and the dad said to me this. He said, my, I have friends who say, I want my kids to be happy. He said, I want my kids to be prepared. There it is. Well, you've been kind to listen to me. Shared with you how the, our youngest gets, he graduates from Wichita State on Friday. And then next month, he marries one of the finest young women I've ever known in my life, a New Springer, wonderful New Spring family. But I was talking to Marielle about this. I said, you realize when we leave the church that day after the wedding, we're going to go back home for the first time in 34 years to an empty house. We were blessed. Stephen was late board, so we got into overtime. But I said, you realize we're going to go home to an empty house. I've enjoyed raising my kids. I never was one of those parents who wanted to hang a sign in the kid's bedroom that says, check out as a 17. <laughs> I've had a good time, and I'm going to miss it. But my time is pretty well finished. And I would very much like to go back and start over and do some of the things I talked about today. And I can't do that. But I can talk to you. And you can leverage these things. And by the grace of God, we can go out and raise a generation of champions. May God bless you. And God thank you for being here today.